Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It gives me a great pleasure to welcome back to Viewpoints Dr. David Zingier, who's an Associate Professor, Southern Cross University, and a local counsellor for Glen Ira. Welcome again to Viewpoints, uh, David. Thank you, Henry. It's always great to be here. Absolute pleasure to have you here, and I compliment you as uh, as always. Um, I, I work in public education, as you know, and you're a great and staunch advocate for public education in our country, and uh, I think we'll be talking about some of those issues today. Uh, now, yes, I, I hope that once um, we're back at school, I can come and visit. Yeah, Very well, we're, yes, you're, yes, you're more than welcome. We, we, we'll open our doors when you're allowed to come back. I think they close them every time you get near to making an appointment with you. I don't know that there's anything yeah, in that. No, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> it is a problem, but we will certainly do that when when we're allowed to. Now, as an advocate for public education, a lot of things um, interest you and are of concern. Where would you like to start? And there's been some very recent uh, conversation about funding, etc., of uh, public yes. private schools. Well, let, let, let's start uh, actually with... Um, the allegation that our international scores are falling, our results are falling, uh, PISA and uh, TIMS, which is the Mathematics and Science uh, OECD study. Uh, there's been a lot of research that's taken place uh, about uh, this particular uh, test. Now, the test is done, uh, unlike NAPLAN, the PISA test uh, is done... Uh, by by selected students or by random students at random schools throughout Australia as an exemplar uh, of um, the rest of the population. And the test is done with 15-year-olds or, or Year 9 students. And uh, if anyone's got a Year 9 student at home, they know how enthusiastic they are uh, not about testing. And... Uh, Actual research shows, because the children are asked after they've completed their PISA uh, test, how hard did you try? 100%, 50%, 25% or 0%? And what the research shows, and this comes from the Australian Council of Education Research uh, head, Sue Thompson. Uh, Sue Thompson found that about 75% of all our students tested for PISA did not try their hardest. And I put that down to exam fatigue and the fact that our Year 9 students, our 15- and 16-year-old students, are really very savvy. And when something doesn't count, when it doesn't affect their uh, progression in school or their overall results, then really, pardon the language, but they don't give a damn. Mm. And uh, therefore, the results that we actually have are quite skewed. Uh, when we compare those results to a country like Singapore or uh, South Korea or um, the city of Shanghai in China, where we know there's a different cultural aspect to education where uh, the children are force-fed and actually do lots and lots of after-school uh, uh, housing education, which I pay a lot of money for, uh, the, the different culture in those countries impact on the children's performance because the children are told that if they don't do their very best, they're going to be a disappointment for the country 
and they'll let their family down and they'll be ashamed to the school, etc. Now, our kids, our kids are too savvy for that. And uh, I think that that filters right through to our NAPLAN results because our students uh, in, uh, in year three and five and year seven are doing better than, our, than their contemporaries in year nine. And, and, and again, it's that year nine, I don't give a damn kind of attitude uh, where the students are the most disengaged from their school and schooling. And that's reflected in our results too. Not to say that we couldn't do better. No teacher, no parent would want uh, standards to fall. But I'm really, really quite sceptical of this continued accusation that our standards are, sco- are falling. It kind of reminds me of the, the Henny Penny story mm. uh, with, the, with the chook running around saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, what will we do? And... Uh, Really, the only response that we get from uh, these numbskulls who call themselves the ministers of education, they oh, it must be the teacher's fault, so let's blame the teachers and uh, have another inquiry as to how we can teach better. Mm. And uh, hence, we've got, again, another inquiry into teaching, uh, actually into teachers. And uh, teachers are, while um, te- public school teachers and teachers general were heroes last year under lockdown, once again, they're seen as pariahs and uh, ready to be beaten about the head by education ministers who have never spent any time in the classroom since they left school themselves. Mm. So that's, that's, that's the first thing that I'd like to get off my chest. <laughs> and, and it's one that, uh, and it's an interesting one because it was only a few years ago, and you'd be well aware of this, David, that uh, Finland was held up as an exemplar model uh, on which we should be basing how we approach teaching and learning and uh, professional development. Um, and uh, th- their results have diminished a little in, in recent oh, times. Uh, more, more than, more than. Uh, their results have gone backwards. Uh, again, um, I, I put it down to the fact that now uh, the children are under the microscope and really they know that it doesn't matter how well they perform and so uh, they don't do their best. Um, it doesn't, if it doesn't count, it doesn't count and that's the attitude of students. Uh, your teachers w- would know uh, this very, very well when the teachers say, oh, you've got to do your homework. And the children say, well, does it count for my end of year results? And the teacher will say, no. Well, then why should I do my homework? <laughs> yes, the incentive is, is, is one it, of those challenges. Yeah, and, and, uh, uh, unfortunately, our children are brought up in that kind of society where uh, incentives are really, really uh, important. And um, they've learned this. From the from the culture, from the background culture, from the television, don't do anything unless there's a reward at the end. Mm. And there's a there's a long conversation one could have about that. So yeah. you, you so the, the the outcome of your of your getting it off your chest really is that Pisa tells us more about a country's culture than uh, than it does about necessarily the education achievement of the children. Yes, it does. And the other finding that we get from results like PISA, and also NAPLAN, something that we've known for years and years and years, and that is that we can almost predict the results of 
a child by looking at the postcode uh, where they live. So the socioeconomic status, the education level of their parents, uh, the jobs that their parents do, by and large, are the most significant impact on a child's education. Time and time again, uh, we, uh, we hear that, well, we need to improve our education system to make sure that our, all our children are achieving well. But this brings me to my, the second point, that we, our education system is a very unequal education system. We are the fourth most privatised education system in the world. Uh, with uh, about 35% of all our children going to private schools. But we're one of the few uh, school, uh, education systems with private schools that are actually publicly funded. Uh, the difference between the public funding of private school students and public school students is about three to $4,000 per head. That, so the... Uh, Average primary school student receives about $12,000 per head for their education. Of course, the child doesn't get it. It goes to the schooling system. Mm -hmm. uh, and the uh, average uh, for a private school student is about nine and a half to $10,000 of public funds. And this is on top of the fees that parents are paying, sometimes upward of $30,000 per annum. Or their child's education, and so we live. We our education system is a very unequal one. And uh, two two articles in the Age this week struck me uh, as quite revealing. The first one was on on Monday, uh, where a former general manager of the of ACARA, the Australian Curriculum and Assessment Reporting Authority, said that, and I'm almost quoting verbatim. Throwing more money at education is not an answer. And he looked to the United Kingdom where he says they've actually decreased education funding and the results have, have improved. Now, uh, this comment is wrong on two counts. On the first one, the UK results haven't improved. And the, and the second one is that in England, none of their private schools are funded by the public, whereas here in Australia, our private schools receive $26 billion per annum from both state and federal funding, that is, public funding from our taxes, on top of the fees that they charge their parents. Almost, almost, almost every private school in Australia is over-resourced, that is, they're, they're money that they have to spend on each student over the 12 months of each year is greater than the student resourcing standard as defined by the Education Department of the Federal Government. On the other hand, the student resourcing standard across 80% of our public schools is 20% less than they should be getting. Hence, uh, we are one of the most unequal systems in the world. So that's, that's the, uh, one, the first article. And the second article is in today's age, uh, on page six. Uh, it's reported by the education editor, Adam Carey, 
and the title is Private Schools Win on Renovation Spending. So uh, this is based on work by a, an economist called Adam Rorris, who analysed capital funding in a report called Investing in Schools, Funding the Future. And he said that the data showed investment in Australian schools has favoured private students in an astonishing degree. And he argues that government funds for capital works would be better directed at under-resourced schools. And he says, and I'm quoting, you're not going to get a great deal of bang for your buck in terms of learning, in terms of kids staying in a school, if you invest it in a school that already has all the bells and whistles. You're just giving them something even better, he said. Now, when I, uh, there are a couple of tables there, and I, I invite your readers to have a look at this. I, if they don't get a, the age in the, in, in the morning, they could look at it online because they'll find it there easily. The title of the article again, it's called Private Schools Win on Renovation Spending. And it, it shows the amount of capital investment of public schools and private schools. And you can imagine uh, who invests more. Uh, per student and uh, in 2018 the latest figures available uh, private schools invested almost $3,000 per student in capital spending that is on buildings and uh, new equipment swimming pools um, rowing buildings etc etc new classrooms on the other hand in public schools in 2018 the last uh, results available $1,500 $1,500 per student was spent. So it's double. So private schools are spending double the amount on capital equipment that, that public schools are doing. Now, when we look at the, the other graph, the other chart that he shows, and this will be great work for your students to have a look at too, Henry, to, yep. when they're doing a bit of mathematics, uh, government funding versus non-government capital funds for schools. So the government funding per student has decreased over time, has decreased over time since 2009 when it was $4,500 per student compared to 2019, the latest figures available from ACARA, it was just over 2000 per student. So we are spending less, far less on, on uh, our public schools now than we were before. And if we want to look at one of the most important reasons why our public school system is underperforming is because the teachers don't have the equipment that they need to do the job properly. And you, you'll know better than anybody how much each of your teachers may sometimes have to sit out of their own pocket to buy equipment for schools. And I hear this from my former students all the time as an education researcher and a teacher of teachers. My former students tell me all the time that before the beginning of each year, they're spending up to $500 on equipment that they have to buy for their classroom to make sure that the kids, when they come into their classrooms on the first day of school, have the equipment they need in front of them, the text, the colours, the papers, the pens, the books, etc. Now, when we've got a situation like that in our country, Henry, uh, there's no need to go any further to explain why uh, our, st- our school students are, are underperforming. Yeah. Uh, if we look at our best performing school system, public school system in Australia, it's in Canberra in the ACT. 
because most of the kids there are coming from homes where the parents have all finished year 12 and most of them have university degrees because Canberra is a, is a place of public servants. And if all of our students performed on their international tests, on their NAPLAN, uh, on their year 12 results at the same level as Canberra, we would be outperforming every country in Australia. But our public schools throughout the country are having to deal with the most difficult of students to teach. Uh, indigenous kids uh, who's, who are speaking five languages and English is their sixth. Rural and remote kids who don't have time to get to school or have to travel uh, hours and hours to get to school on, on a school bus or through the parents. Uh, we have what's called a very long tail of underperformance and disadvantage in our country. We are a very unequal country. Even though we pride ourselves on being egalitarian, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer, and the pandemic hasn't helped that at all. No. and uh, that's, my, that's, that's my second rant. <laughs> <laughs> and they're very powerful and I would say very accurate uh, rants, as you put it, David. And the pandemic, one of the things it did show was how uh, uneven the distribution of resources are in terms of um, digital technology. Uh, and a lot of our private schools, they have uh, the children bring their own devices. They all own them. And uh, here in most of our public schools, we have a limited range of them. And uh, kids don't have... Uh, so when they went home to do remote learning, half the kids didn't have devices and schools were giving that's out correct. their devices. I mean, that's just another well, that's example. That's correct. I have to I have to give some praise where it's due here because I know that the uh, Victorian Education Department made huge efforts in ensuring that um, every kid had a device at home and even if they didn't have internet-enabled homes, they gave them dongles so they could log on to the internet. But, of course, unequal resources equals unequal outcomes. Mm. It's, a, it's a, very, a very simple mathematical equation. It, it certainly is. David, the time's got away from us. Um, as always, uh, it's very informative and uh, very powerful and I'd say spot on the money. And uh, all I can say is as I started the, the interview with you today, David, um, thank you so much on being such a powerful advocate for public education in our country. We need, we need more of people such as yourself. Thank you very much. And if any of your listeners want to join the Public Education Network, just look us up on Facebook and they can join Public Education Network. Public Education Network, we'll certainly profile that, and I'm sure there will be people to do that. That was Dr David Zingier, Associate Professor for Southern Cross University and local councillor at Glen Eyre and a great advocate for our public education system, the Public Education Network. Look it up and join it uh, if that's of interest to you. We'll take a short break, listeners. Don't go away. Mm -hmm. 